thank you to uh, the Republicans who stood up for ARPA-E and the EERE budget. And well, so I just feel bad. So yeah, I, I, actually <laughs> I legitimately am like, you know, I'm grateful for that. The November general election is still months away, but we're already in the thick of the 2018 midterm season. Campaigns, polls, primaries, and protests have kicked off across the United States with enormously high stakes. Control of Congress is up for grabs, and the nation hasn't been this divided in decades. A polarizing president, social changes, demographic shifts, technological advances, and economic challenges are rapidly transforming the political landscape. Where do energy and environment issues fit into all of this? Well, that's what we're here to discuss. Welcome to Political Climate, a bi-weekly and bipartisan podcast on the ins and outs of energy and environment politics in America. With Political Climate, we'll go beyond the echo chambers to bring you civil conversations, fierce debates, insider perspectives, and possibly even a few kumbaya moments with hosts and guests from across the political spectrum. I'm Julia Piper, Senior Editor with Green Tech Media, and I'm joined here by our Red Team, Blue Team representatives, the co-hosts of the Political Climate Pod, Shane Skelton and Brandon Hurlbutt. Hi, guys. Hey, Julia. I'm excited to do the show with you, and Shane, you as well. And the blue wave is coming this year, and there's room on the bandwagon for you if you want to jump aboard before it's too late. The wave, the wave isn't that exciting, and maybe not as big as we think, but I am excited to be here with Brandon. He's such a great guy, and it's such a good opportunity for me to get to educate Obama staff on what they could have done right over the course of the last eight years. So. I think we're going to have a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to having this discussion, Julia. Coming out swinging. Who you just heard from there is Shane Skelton, our resident Republican, partner at consulting firm S2C Pacific, a former congressional candidate, and a former energy advisor to now House Speaker Paul Ryan. Brandon, our resident Democrat, is co-founder of the consulting firm Boundary Stone Partners, former White House staffer, and former chief of staff for Energy Secretary Stephen Chu. So somehow we got both of you in the same room, two people from two different political parties. I even saw you laughing together earlier. So clearly we know there's a way for folks to get along. Uh, as a Canadian citizen, I'm going to say it's thanks to my diplomatic skills, but it could also be the California sunshine since we're coming to you here today from our home base outside the Beltway in Los Angeles, CA. So to kick things off, let's go to you, Brandon. You campaign for President Obama and are actively involved in this year's election. You also work with companies across the clean tech sector. Sector. Why are we even talking about the role politics plays in climate and energy today? Well, 2018 is going to be an exciting year, Julia. The House and Senate are up for grabs. Politics is everything right now. This is totally different than it was 20 years ago. JFK Jr. famously started a magazine called George just to get people interested in politics. So he would put celebrities on the cover of the magazine and they were dressed up as George Washington. The first issue had famously Cindy Crawford dressed up as George Washington. So it's very different now. I mean, if that doesn't get you interested, I don't know. (laughs) Fast forward to today, and families can't even have holiday dinners without getting into a big debate over politics. Roseanne just reintroduced her show about this concept where the family can't get along about politics, and 18 and a half million viewers watched the show last week. Yeah, it's amazing. Politics has truly permeated everything we do now. On the issue of climate change and energy, back in 2008, things were different. Both the Democratic and Republican nominees for president, Barack Obama and John McCain, were in agreement. John McCain was the lead co-sponsor on the cap-and-trade bill in the Senate. 
Newt Gingrich and Nancy Pelosi famously filmed a commercial together saying they wanted to work together on climate change. But this has changed. Um, when I was in the administration, you know, Keystone was sailing through the administration because it was routine to give permits to pipelines. But then all of a sudden, 10,000 people showed up outside of the White House and everything changed on that pipeline. It was delayed for, you know, until Trump was president. So that's kind of interesting that, like, we think of Obama as a very pro-climate president, but even the administration was, uh, I think, caught by surprise at just how much that issue resonated with people. It's just a good example of how politics influences policy. The policy was to permit pipelines. All of a sudden, once people were organized, uh, it affected the policy on that. This is why I think we can provide such a unique perspective uh, to our listeners on this show. I was really fortunate. I... Uh, was in the Obama administration during a very historic time. I was there for the BP oil spill, for Fukushima, for Hurricane Sandy, for the Recovery Act. And I think we can pull back the curtain, you know, for all of you listening out there and give you insight as to what it's like, you know, to be in the room when those decisions are made and how the politics impacts those decisions. And I think we also have a unique format where we have a Republican and a Democrat on this show and, you know, I am like really interested to hear what Shane has to say. I really get along well with Shane. We disagree on lots of things, but I read articles oftentimes and I, th- and I wonder what Shane thinks about them. So I'm really excited to discuss the politics of this issue with you guys. Yeah, it's it's great. You, and you both bring different perspectives because, Brandon, you were obviously in the administration. Shane, you were up on Capitol Hill. So I think that brings another added element here. Shane, how do you think politics are playing out um, in energy and climate in a way that really speaks to the broader um, American interests and broader political landscape at this moment? Yeah, I think politics have become totally separated from the facts about energy and climate and then also totally separated from our, our larger policy goals. I think politics used to be a really creative way to advance your public policy objectives. And I think at this point, the two are totally unrelated. The best example I like to use is Russia. We've all now determined that Russia is a great geopolitical foe. The best thing we can do to hurt Russia and the thing that they that they want from us the least is for us to undercut their standing on global oil and gas markets. That would be the way that we could hurt them uh, far more than any congressional hearing, far more than hauling Mark Zuckerberg in front of the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee or whoever else is to advance our hand in global energy trade and weaken theirs. Uh, and yet the same Democrats who want to make sure that Russia is held to account are making it really, really difficult for us to build pipelines, for us to develop as much of our oil and gas as we want, and to build the export facilities we need to get these things offshore. I mean, you look at coastal states uh, run by Democrat politicians, and they're doing everything they can to make sure we can't export our bounty. And so uh, the politics, you know, not all of us need to agree on that. I think the reason this show will be great is Brandon and I have gotten along since day one before we started this podcast. Uh, he's a great guy. Also, you know, joking aside, we have a lot of fun. Uh, like Brandon said, we disagree on the politics, uh, but but in a, in a fun and productive way. And I think we both have some really interesting insights as to not just what we think, but also what we experienced coming from different sides of the same policy battles when we were in Washington. I think we've got to ask you as the Republican in the room, do you believe in human-caused climate change? Uh, you know, I do. And I think the funny thing is, is that 
it, it's become easier to not believe. And I know that sounds strange uh, to you guys, but I think when, when you're left to stand uh, with the science on its own, we can all sort of identify the markers that are put out there by the people who understand this a lot better than we do, or at least a lot better than I do. And so, yeah, clearly there's a, a pattern here. Clearly it's not a great pattern and we can sort of track it with increased global emissions of, of greenhouse gases. I think where it becomes easier to say that that I don't get it or to muddy the waters is that it's become weaponized so much. And, and, and we've talked about this a lot is, it is no longer a policy uh, discussion that we should have and try to find a solution. It's an absolute fact, similar to religion. And if you don't agree, not just with my view on whether the climate's changing, but my specific policy prescription, then you're an awful person and you're really, really stupid. And that is, I think, a really dangerous way to go when you need to build consensus around some ideas to mitigate the impacts of climate change. Well, that very question is where we're going to dig in a little further today uh, and look at some recent polling numbers that came out from Gallup around the question of uh, human-caused climate change, as well as some energy resource questions. The election later this year will be really interesting to see if and how energy, environment, and climate issues emerge as voting issues. And so I think this poll helps shed a little light on that. So digging into the numbers here, um, the poll found, one of the recent Gallup polls found that there's a widening partisan split on climate change with a growing rejection among Republicans and interestingly among independents as well. Um, The polling underscores why prospects for legislation on climate change are really so remote these days. Uh, And of course, you have the Trump administration also unwinding several Obama-era climate initiatives at the same time. Um, The the telephone poll of roughly 1,000 adults uh, done in early March found that 9 in 10 Democrats agree that global warming is caused by human activity compared to roughly a third of Republicans. Compared to last year, the Democrat responses ticked up slightly. Republican responses fell by 5%, and independents fell by 8%. Uh, so that was an interesting one to me, Shane. You know, going back to you again, does that pretty much seem in line with what you were expecting of where Republicans uh, view this issue today? Yeah, I think so. And, and that doesn't surprise me at all. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if those numbers continue to diverge. I mean, I think that chart is going to continue to widen on the on the front end. And and I can tell you, you know, from my experience, a short experience, it was running for office. Uh, my you know, what I learned, what I knew, the policy objectives I wanted to reach, they don't resonate right with the grassroots, at least on our side. I think I think the Democrats do a lot better connecting with their grassroots on these issues. But um, when I would speak to potential donors, donors, uh, more institutional bodies about you know clean energy and the opportunities to have a, a less partisan sort of future in this space, they were excited about it. They liked the idea of young politicians who could connect with young voters who were going to value energy and climate issues a lot more than older voters were. Uh, but when you take that that to the grassroots, I mean, you might as well be reading them Winnie the Pooh. People were so bored and so turned off by it. They wanted you to talk about immigration, social issues. People don't issues. like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm projecting there, but uh, it was it was like to say that, hey, we have a great opportunity to invest in clean energy resources and create jobs in California. I mean, come on. I might as well be, you know, they want me to get up there and say, build a wall, get them out. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, let's bomb Iran or something like that. I'm exaggerating grossly, but but no one wanted to talk about sort of a, a middle ground to rational energy and climate policy. Well, another interesting point, though, in the Gallup poll was that overall public belief in human-caused climate change, uh, concern about the topic and agreement that its effects have actually already uh, taken hold, that has actually risen over several years. Brandon, what do you, what do you think of that trend? 
I mean, seeing the numbers among Republicans decreasing, like, broke my heart. Like, I think it was devastating. I don't understand, you know, when, when you look at this issue uh, over many decades, it's not a small sample set, the, the scientists become more and more convinced about their conclusions about climate change. The evidence gets stronger. And what they keep seeing is this is happening faster than they imagine. Yet Republicans are going in the opposite direction on this issue. Uh, they, they seem to be, you know, becoming more... Um, they're denying the science. Well, can I, can I jump in on you for yes. a second there, Brandon? Because I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I think one of the things that I've recognized on the Republican side is what are the consequences of agreeing with the consensus, right? So I think in the political climate we're in, Republicans say, if we say, yes, this is a problem, the way the Democrats believe it's a problem, we then have to agree to stop building pipelines, stop producing gas, uh, raise our energy costs. The consequences are too dire, so let's just throw out the baby with the bathwater. True. And I think that's like a short term view. The thing that gives me hope about the Gallup poll that you're talking about, Julia, is that amongst millennials and young people, they believe in this and they care about it. It's more of a priority. You're right, Shane. There hasn't been consequences yet for Republicans on this issue. But I think that day is coming uh, as young people are, you know, you see them organizing around guns. You see the, the, the marches, the never again march for our lives. I think those young people will be also marching on this issue and voting on this issue. Uh, and that's going to be good for Democrats in the midterms. You can still get on the bandwagon, Shane. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, you know, I, I can't even, I can't do anything but laugh kidding. at you guys right now. But, uh, but, but no, I think Brandon makes a good point, which is no one has had to pay for this at the ballot box. I mean, I think Republicans tried to highlight it in the 2010 midterms um, that oil prices had tripled under Obama. Anyone who watches this stuff understands that very little any president can do to increase or reduce gasoline prices. Um, but we thought it was a winning issue. I think there were a number of winning issues, but I, I don't know that that energy was why people voted the way they did. I think um, the Democrats have played a pretty strong hand on some of the the, the climate uh you know, things that could be tied to climate in recent years. Again, I think it resonated with the base, but I don't think it turned out new voters. But I think Brandon's hitting on a point, which is we've got a younger generation of soon-to-be voters or new voters who are going to focus a lot more on these types of issues than they are on some of the sort of larger things that I think the baby boomers have been focused on. Yeah, so the climate debate is one part of this. And then, of course, you have the energy piece. You have the environment piece about clean air, clean water, which we'll also tackle. That was actually addressed in a separate Gallup poll released recently uh, that showed Americans' concern about energy has actually reached the lowest level in roughly two decades. Uh, just 25% of Americans say they worry a great deal about the availability and affordability of energy, which is a new low uh, for Gallup's trend um, although it's not substantially lower than the last couple of years. Democrats and environmentalists tend to be a little more concerned than Republicans and non-environmentalists about, uh, about energy availability, but, but not by much. Um, the same poll found that Americans continue to voice preferences for environmental protection, energy conservation, and developing alternative energy uh, over producing traditional energy supplies which is interesting because we're producing a lot of traditional energy supplies in America today. Uh, so no surprise, Democrats, younger voters were more likely to be pro-environmental action. So they're going to be voting on that, Julia. Do you think they will? I mean, that's something we got to hash out. We can talk to some millennials and hear. I mean, I'm a millennial, actually, but I don't <laughs> vote in America. <laughs> um, but I think that'll be interesting to see is how much people talk about these issues and whether or not that becomes something they vote on, because I do see that disconnect. It's so easy to be a, a, a social media supporter rather than a real world one and getting people to take action is, uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it's not super easy. You have to get out on the ground and convince people to actually go to the ballot box. Well, history has shown, Julia, that people vote in their own self-interest. And where I think we're going to see a change, and, and I'm far more interested in Brandon's opinion than I am mine here, is that that seems to be changing. Um, every year you hear stuff swirling around about people care about this, people care about that. But thinking back to the Clinton years, the economy was good. People voted for Clinton. Like, it, it didn't matter if he did things that they weren't super proud of. The economy was doing well. People vote in their own self-interest. I think that may start to change with younger voters. I think they like to think about themselves as more of an activist generation, thinking more about existential crises than their own sort of tax bill. But uh, but Brandon, you, you've been more active in the can- campaign space for a range of candidates. Have you experienced that or do you think it's going to go back to pocketbook? I think we're we're seeing young people turn things on their head right now. I mean, in the past, guns were like an untouchable issue for Democrats because they just thought the consequences were too great to take it on. Uh, Many people thought that the Democrats lost the House in 1994 over guns. Now you have people marching in the streets on this. And, you know, I think the conventional wisdom on climate change will change. And you look at in the midterms, two of the major states that are going to decide the House of Representatives are California and Pennsylvania. California has you know, seven districts where you have an incumbent Republican, where Hillary Clinton won that congressional district. In one of those districts, uh, Ed Royce's district, there's 110,000 uh, millennials in that district, the highest proportion of any you know, targeted race in this country, you know, they could shape the outcome of that seat, which will help affect the outcome of the house. Well, let me ask you this. If, if you have a situation like that, but there's a number of people, whether Democrats or whether Democrats and Republicans running with the same position on the same issue, does that dilute the vote? So if you have 12 Democrats in that primary, and I don't know how many there are, but if you do, and they're all very pro clean energy, very sort of anti any sort of climate pollutant, does that weaken the ability of people to, to use climate and energy as a campaign issue? Because now we all agree on that. I've got to find a place where I differentiate myself from you. Yeah, I don't know. It The the jungle primary in California is a whole different issue about diluting the vote. Uh, it's something I think people are really concerned about. But like in Pennsylvania, I think... Uh, the jungle it, issue meaning... Meaning that the top two get to go no matter, regardless of party. So you could have Democrats, you know, uh, dilute the vote so much that two Republicans make it, you know, out of the primary. But in Pennsylvania, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting races there because they're redistricting it uh, because it was completely gerrymandered, uh, which means that like the lines were drawn to have Republicans or, you know, Democrats, uh, you know, keep the seat. Like the other 49 states. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, but the courts stepped in and have redistricted uh, Pennsylvania. And that's where Connor Lamb, you know, just won a district that Donald Trump had won by more than 20, you know, percentage points. So Pennsylvania, where, you know, the Marcellus Shale, uh, you know, there's a lot of fracking is I think energy and climate will play an issue there. There's a congressional district that's a top target in Pennsylvania that is Ryan Costello, and he's a moderate Republican. He's on the energy and climate uh, energy and commerce committee and ClearPath is dumping a bunch of money. ClearPath is a uh, moderate Republican, uh, clean energy Republican, you know, group with money. Uh, and so, you know, is that guy being, you know, you know, more moderate on energy and climate issues? He's a leader in the climate caucus in Congress. Is that going to dilute that issue for Democrats? Uh, I don't know, but we'll be following it. And it'll be interesting to 
bring that perspective to our listeners. Well, and that's the rub, right? If we can get Republicans fighting with Democrats over this issue, I think everyone at this table is going to be happy, right? I don't want it to be a political wedge issue. I think younger voters do want it to be a political wedge issue. And so if Republicans can own the issue as much as Democrats, now we're fighting over solutions. And that's fun. I think the politics of it are fighting over what's our problem or do we have? Oh, come on. The politics are so fun. (laughs) Well, the the politics are are, are tons of fun. Of course, that's why we're all here doing this. But I think Democrats would be caught very flat footed if Republicans said, you know, I'm campaigning to to have a clean energy economy and address climate change. Uh, Now you got to get pretty creative. Right. A lot of people think that will just never happen. David Roberts at Vox has recently tweeted about the inability for Republicans to really get behind the climate agenda and really painting a bleak picture for whether or not anything will ever happen on climate and pretty much saying you have to vote Republicans out if you're ever going to get anything done. And this is where I think we go to the political fight rather than the policy fight. Does it matter what someone believes if they're willing to join with you and, and promote good policy? I think climate is, is purely a political issue because let's say that Brandon and I were both elected representatives. And let's say that I said to him, I wholeheartedly reject climate science. I don't believe it's real, but I'm super psyched about solar energy. So why don't you and I put together an energy platform where we're reducing carbon emissions, we're investing in in clean energy, and we're doing everything we can to take carbon out of the atmosphere, even though I actually don't believe in it and I don't care. Um, I would be pilloried for that. I would not be celebrated. And, and I think that's where the political fight comes in is no one, they don't need you to agree only with their solutions. They need you to agree with their beliefs. And that is always going to be political, politically contentious, even if the policy solutions find a way forward. Well, that exact issue came up in the poll as well, talking about just how many Americans support alternative energies, alternatives to fossil fuels. And 73% of adults uh, said that they preferred uh, developing resources like wind and solar. Just 21% favored um, more production of oil, gas, and coal supplies. So if it's true that Republicans can't, at least some of them can't come together on a clean energy agenda for non, you know, climate reasons, then won't that maybe hurt them given how Americans are leaning today? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, yeah, I don't mean to say that the Republicans are going to win on this issue at all. I think that's sort of the fun of this discussion. I think, you know, the political side of it that, that makes for good discussion, though, is that I've always been of the mind that I don't need you to share my beliefs at all. I just need you to work with me to find solutions. And that's just not the position that most people take on climate issues. Shane, maybe you can talk about how you use Solyndra for that. Uh, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, uh, I think what was interesting is earlier Brandon mentioned Keystone XL being a flashpoint. And, and I think at that time, obviously, Republicans, I was working in the House, um, not not as a member, of course, but as a staffer. And um, we were really flabbergasted. I mean, it was it was completely stunning that you'd hold up, uh, you know, presidents don't even need to issue a presidential permit for a pipeline unless it crosses international boundaries, which, of course, Keystone XL did uh, coming from Canada. But we were we were totally caught flat footed. And the initial response from Republicans was this is just really odd. Like, I don't even know how to talk about this because it's strange and it's unfitting. Um, but then we had gas prices go up, uh, whether or not related to the pipeline at all. Uh, and then we had Solyndra. And now as a Republican, you're going, OK. Now this is fun. We can blame the president for high gas prices and then point out that his solution to high gas prices is investing billions of dollars in clean energy sources that don't exist and can't be viable. Now, anyone who pays any attention to energy policy knows solar panels are not the traditional fuel for motor vehicles. And so the idea that gas prices are going to be impacted by whether or not you have solar and wind is totally irrational. But politics are totally irrational. And I think that's where we got you know, really dragged into the food fight is people are not 
not happy about gas prices and we're going to have fun with the president on this one. And what I think is, you know, timely right now is that, you know, Solyndra, it was supposed to be about corruption, right? There was these investigations. Republicans were looking for connections between, you know, the DOE and donors. There was nothing there. After 2 million pages of documents were produced, there was nothing was found. What you have right now going on with Scott Pruitt is actually what you were looking for in Solyndra, which is corruption. This guy is getting, you know, lobbyist subsidized apartments. Uh, he's spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on taxpayer money on, you know, first class flights and such. That That's real corruption. And now this guy is decided he's, he's supposed to be protecting us from pollution. And on CAFE, he's rolling that back. Well, I mean, I think uh, a couple of things. One, I think you're right. The investigations were about corruption. I, I think myself and, and most people I was talking to at the time didn't believe that. We like to, to use the line, either they're corrupt or they're not very smart. And we think it's the latter. Um, that was that was sort of our Solyndra uh, uh, talking point. But I think, I think the cafe stuff is interesting in that um, you can certainly add more value to this dialogue than I can. But my understanding was even the Obama administration understood that these um, standards were unachievable and planned to revisit them through a thorough process with both DOT and EPA. And after Trump was elected, determined that they'd rather just sort of leave that sandwich on his desk to deal with. Um, so I, I think you're right that um, rolling back these standards dramatically to make a political point would be you know, totally unnecessary. But I think it's also true to say that there's no compromise to be had. It's equally political. I mean, Mary Nichols from the uh, California Energy Board or Air Resources Board or whatever says this is a political move by Administrator Pruitt. Very well may be true. But it's also a political move by California to say there's zero room for compromise. The standards are perfect as written. Well, I think there was also some reform over time. Let's remember that the real world uh, MPG is supposed to be something around 36 miles per gallon. So a lot there's an argument to be made that automakers could get there. Even some automakers have said they didn't need quite so much of a review, but maybe some more flexibility. But of course, like you say, this gets political and you lose the space to have these more nuanced conversations. Well, the sweet spot is a review and a slight rollback. I think both parties went on that space. No one wants a shared win, right? So California wants to beat the federal government. The federal government wants to beat California. And lo and behold, this is now, right, in my view, at least a political debate, not a not a policy debate. The reminder there is that California has a waiver from the EPA, which is why this is really setting up California for a fight against Washington, because the EPA could potentially revoke that waiver. Shane, do you think Scott Pruitt will survive this political debate? I do. Um, I do. I think uh, Scott Pruitt has probably more effective than anyone else in the administration at implementing the Trump agenda and not just talking about it, but implementing it. And I think a lot of the stuff that that's going on there is, is strange, right? I mean, again, maybe, maybe I have rose colored glasses on, but in my view, you know, we wouldn't spend any time talking about people's personal behavior. We'd be focused solely on sort of the policies they're implementing. Now, maybe I didn't feel that way when Obama was in office, if I'm being honest, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but but I think what he's done is he's effectively and methodically carried out the Trump agenda. And I think he's done it um, with with a good team of lawyers who actually understand that to do things right, it takes time. Um, and so I think CAFE will be a really interesting testing ground for that. If they come out and say, we're revoking the California waiver and automakers only have to use our standard, that would certainly rebut my point. That would that would be contrary to everything that I think. I think what they're doing is I think they're trying to figure out what legal mechanisms are available to them. 
strike a deal with California if they can and not if they won't. And I think his survival uh, as administrator depends far more on his ability to implement the agenda than on any of the news cycles surrounding flights and whatever else. I think this will be an example of how politics affects policy. Uh, because you're right, uh, Scott Pruitt has been very effective at rolling back uh, Obama you know, regulatory wins. But Trump campaigned on draining the swamp. Uh, he made that promise to voters in the campaign. Scott Pruitt is the swamp. He is enriching himself at taxpayers' expense. And I think that's going to be, the politics is really going to influence his ability to go forward on this. I think what we're pointing to again here that's interesting is the Trump administration. And then you have Republicans and Democrats in various races across the country. And there's a big debate about how close to Trump you want to be, given where you are, how far away, how progressive Democrats should be. Should they have a more conservative agenda to win some of those potentially purple states. And that's going to be super interesting to watch because energy and climate issues will weave in and out of there. And I thought it was interesting going back to the Connor Lamb discussion because people say he ran like a conservative, ran like a Republican, but presumably he'll still vote like a Democrat and a lot of clean energy issues. He did say he wants to support jobs and natural gas, but he also called out the Trump administration for rolling back various protections on the environment. So uh, he clearly had an anti-Trump agenda at the very least. And I think some people resonated with that. And speaking to the poll, you know, majority of Americans want environmental protection. So I think there's an interesting narrative here of how do you square what the Trump administration's doing with repealing certain regulations? Um, how will that affect other kinds of Republican races? Will they assume that they're taking the Trump stance? Um, could that give Democrats a leg up? Well, yeah, I mean, the trick about politics that, that I really learned more so in just my, my brief spent running uh, than I did working in policy is that it doesn't really matter what the American public thinks. It matters what your very narrow slice of the American public thinks. And then when you get into that group of 760,000 people, it really only matters what the 51% that might vote for you think. And, and so, you know, you look at these national polls and you might go, people want to talk about this or they want to talk about that. But my experience was that even if a lot of Americans wanted to talk about um, clean energy, the Americans in California's 26th district that might vote Republican didn't. And and so that that's where I think things get a little bit trickier is um, where are there enough swing voters? I think in districts where you have a lot of swing voters, clean energy climate, some of these more sort of moderating issues, I think they're going to be hugely impactful because you can actually move an electorate with some forward thinking ideas. So I think if, if it's you got to get 51% conservatives, you better start talking about building a wall. Well, the turnout has been higher in all of these elections since November of 2016. So I think that's going to play a really interesting role in the midterms. And in some of these states, you know, like Texas and Florida, where they've had, and California, where they've had extreme weather events, you know, whether it was the hurricanes in Florida and Texas, the wildfires in California, I wonder if energy and climate is going to play a larger role. Like if you're in Florida, think about how many Puerto Ricans have vacated the island and come to Florida. Uh, they're pretty upset, I think, about what happened there. I mean, they were sort of left to fend for themselves. I think, you know, a large portion of the island still is without electricity many months after that hurricane. How are they going to be voting uh, in these midterm elections. I think they're going to be voting on that issue. Yeah, I think there's there's four types of voters, right? And we're really fighting over two of them, in my view. There's, I'm going to vote Democrat because that's who I am. So those are, those are out of play. I'm going to vote Republican because that's who I am. Those are out of play. Then there's, I want to be a Republican, but... And, and, and I know a lot of those voters. I want to be a Republican, but I don't like what Trump's doing. I want to be a Republican, but I don't like the social issues. And there's I want to be a Democrat, but, you know, I, I believe mostly in Democratic polities, but I, th I think they're going too far on this or too far on that. 
those are the areas that we're fighting over. And I think those are the voters where whether you're a Republican or Democrat, if you're an optimistic, forward-looking individual who can talk about clean energy, who can talk about climate, who can talk about some of these issues intelligently in sort of an inspiring way, you can win elections. And I actually think, going back to our earlier conversation, a lot of those voters are people between 18 and 30. And I think that's what makes this so exciting. And we'll come back to that issue. I think it's going to be really interesting to dig in on the millennial agenda jobs, local jobs. That includes coal jobs. You've heard about the war on coal. That includes solar jobs. It's a very local issue. And and the Trump administration's policies, uh, specifically the trade case, may cause a lot of job losses in that sector. Could could that hurt Republicans in some ways? Um, so- the jobs are in clean energy right now in this country, no matter where you are. Even if you're in a rural area, the number one, you know, fastest growing job in America is a wind turbine technician. And, you know, th- with the electrification of vehicles, there's going to be jobs in, in cities installing EV chargers, uh, you know, making electric vehicles, uh, putting solar panels on a roof, installing a battery in a home. Uh, th- th- this is where the jobs are at. And I think this is going to be central to the politics. I think it'll be interesting to see if Republicans embrace that because a lot of Republicans do support that innovation. And Shane, I'm sure you can elaborate on this, that everyone likes jobs. We do hear in these news echo chambers about pushback. Um, obviously, the Trump administration proposed gutting um, certain DOE programs, RPE, um, and clean clean energy programs specifically. And yet you had Republicans in Congress vote to fund those at the same or more at higher levels in the most recent budget bill. So I think that that's an interesting divide uh, and kind of confusing because you hear public comments saying one thing, pro-coal agenda, maybe anti-Obama agenda. But when it comes down to it, a lot of Republicans seem to support the general um, clean energy, innovation, new employment agenda. Shane, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think there's two very clean ways to look at it. I mean, one is um, if you want to know where the jobs are, follow the fundamentals, right? I mean, policy, uh, policy-driven people have opinions. Wall Street uh, investors, people with money, they have facts because all they want to do is return money to their investors. That's their primary concern. So when you have Wall Street saying, hey, this base erosion, uh, anti-abuse tax provision or whatever is not good. Hey, getting rid of PTC would not be good. Um, these tariffs on you know solar panels is not good. They're not saying that out of the kindness of their heart. They're saying that because they know where the volume is and they know how to make money. And so I think that plays to Brandon's point, which is there are jobs and economic growth in clean energy. On the congressional side, I can tell you from firsthand experience, It's very easy for a Republican to say we can't waste money subsidizing fake energy sources. You go into any single program and try to take a cut and you're not going to have a good time. I mean, I worked energy issues on the budget committee. And what we could say is we need to remove um, corporate cronyism. We need to remove subsidization. You could say clean energy, but you could say all energy, right? You get rid of fossil R&D or nuclear R&D. That was easy to say. Once someone said to you, okay, what exact accounts are you cutting? You say, I'm going to zero out EERE. I'm going to zero out RPE. I mean, you're dead in the water. Now you don't have 218 votes. So everyone can agree that corporate cronyism is not good and that subsidizing failing energy is not good. Um, Air quotes on those because guess what? Someone represents someone with that job. Someone represents that laboratory. Someone represents the company getting that loan guarantee. And at the end of the day, no member of Congress with a brain is going to go vote to zero out a program that's funding some constituents' jobs. And therein is the 
policy, politics, dilemma, what we hear on the outside, what's going on in the inside. And you guys bring such an interesting perspective having been there and you guys continue to go to D.C. and are very involved in these discussions, which is what I think is really going to add value to this conversation going forward. And so let's leave it there right now and switch to our final segment of the show. Uh, If you can't say something nice, then there's no hope for the nation. Um, Shane, say something nice about uh, what a Democrat uh, has done uh, in recent weeks. I think that the Democrats have done a fantastic job in keeping Nancy Pelosi atop their conference. It shows loyalty. It shows the respect they have for experience. And it also shows that they're willing to let Republicans keep the House, which I'm really grateful for. <laughs> nice. My little backhanded compliment there. Brandon, what, do you, what can you say that's nice that uh, Republicans have done recently? I'm actually going to say two nice things wow. uh, to <laughs> Shane today. Brown noser. Yes. Um, number one. Thank you to uh, the Republicans who stood up for RPE and the EERE budget. You know, Lisa Murkowski and others uh, in the Congress, you know, fought for RPE. Trump tried to eliminate it. Uh, and there are Republicans in Congress that stood up for that program. They're very important programs for our future and being able to, you know, have economic development in this country. China's already doing this. We need to keep up. And well, now so, I just feel bad. So I, I, actually a <laughs> I legitimately am like, you know, I'm grateful for that. Uh, and the second is, you know, I saw some real political courage lately with uh, Governor Schwarzenegger uh, and Chad Mays, who's a local Republican in California, standing up and creating this uh, coalition called um, the New Way. Uh, and they're saying, you know, we need to be uh, progressive on climate change and, and clean energy issues in order for the Republican Party to have a future. I totally agree. Uh, if you look at, you know, California, uh, it was a Republican state in 1994. You know, Pete Wilson was the governor. You know, anti-immigration ballot initiatives were passing. And California is uh, a lot like the rest of the country in the sense that you have rural areas in the Central Valley. And on the eastern side of the state, you have like big urban population centers. You have everything in California. And right now, the the, the Republican Party is like a third party in this state. And that's going to be the future, I think, un- unless Republicans uh, change their view on this issue. Texas is almost like California, you know, 10 years ago, it's moving in the direction of California becoming a majority minority state. And so I think it's, um, you know, I'm I'm happy to see Republican leaders stand up and have the courage to talk about this. Well, can I give a real compliment now, Julia? Because I feel like Brandon was so kind and I was so backhanded. Okay. Um, One thing that that I really do, that I do really admire about what Democrats are doing right now, and I mean this sincerely, is that uh, one of the things I disdain the most about politics is that you hold your opponents to one standard and yourselves to another. I think we've all seen a lot of, of, of stuff going on both in California and at the federal level with um, harassment and just deeply inappropriate behavior in government. And I think the Democrats have done a very good job of, of shooting the arrows equally. Um, people are being held accountable if they're behaving badly. And I think that's that's really impressive because it's hard to do in politics. It's hard to willingly give up seats that you don't have to give up. So I, I think that's been great. And and hopefully that sort of... Um, Julia's swooning will... right now. You can't see this. I on promised the... Kumbaya <laughs> and we really found one already. Wow, I'm going to bust out the guitar. Get a campfire going. Um, Well, on that lovely note, let's wrap up the show. Again, this is Political Climate, a bi-weekly and bipartisan, very bipartisan at this moment, uh, podcast on energy and environment politics in America. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll check in again in a couple of weeks when we drop our next episode. 